Welcome to The Dojo, the podcast where we turn marketing news into marketing tasks. This week, we'll hear three stories, including one from our special guest. We'll pick the best one and turn it into tasks that you can do today. I'm Dale. I'm Jess. I'm Tim. And welcome to The Dojo. This week, we're joined by Andrea Eilitz. Andrea is Exposure Ninja's head of sales and has over 20 years of experience across digital and traditional marketing. It's one of Exposure Ninja's most experienced ninjas. Andrea's been consulting businesses for every size across the nation and across the globe. That goes from national to regional brands that you probably heard of as well. Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello. Uh, so this week, um, as with every week, we're going to go around and see who's everyone's story is and then pick the best one at the end to turn into tasks. Tim, what's your pick of the week? I have some updates about AI in marketing. Having spoken at an marketing agency AI conference yesterday, I thought I would report back to you all on what's going on in the world of digital marketing agency AI usage or not. <laughs> Fascinating. Jess, what's your pick for this week? My pick for this week is about the rise of individualism. Definitely seen a rise in people kind of wanting a very, very personalized experience on the internet, whether that's engaging with social media posts or as expected with AI tools. And we think this is going to become even, even bigger once Google's search generative experience is brought to everyone and everyone can make these hyper personalized searches. Me and my sister call it bean soup because we both found out about it through a video where a girl made bean soup and a lot of the comments were asking questions like, I don't like beans, how can I make this soup? What would you suggest? And this was just a normal person <laughs> on social media who was just sharing this recipe because she liked it. And we are seeing more and more of this across the internet with even subreddits starting up to be dedicated to it. So I think marketers are going to find this to be a challenge in the future. Interesting. And it's soup season as well, because it's pretty cold around here. So I wouldn't say no to a bit more uh, info about soup. Andrea, I'd love to know what your story is for this week. Well, I don't know how I could compete with bean soup, to be perfectly honest with you. That sounds pretty fantastic to me um but i've got quite the headline for you with our team here at exposure ninja we have just been nominated for the 2024 shortlist for european content awards with the most incredible email marketing strategy that delivered a 13 times roi within six months so um some very tasty stats coming this way for that one that's huge i'm yeah. very excited to hear more about that one hmm I feel like we touched upon AI in our last meeting. So Jess, I'd love to start with you. Yeah, of course. So I think what we're really going to see as marketers is that people are going to be looking for this really, really personalized experience, both in search and when they land on our websites. And I think that we're going to need to start fielding a lot more obvious questions, whether that's on social media or whether we're getting that after somebody's been on a product or service page and they're asking these questions because they're concerned this isn't quite right for them. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go on all your web pages and write every single possible thing that people could be thinking about your service or about your project product or about your software. But definitely think about some of the questions people might have and find ways to include those, like think about the objections and find ways to handle them 
on those pages as well as on other pages on your website, right? So if somebody lands on your homepage, they might not know if you offer free shipping or if you offer 24 hour customer service. So you need to make that very, very clear from the off because there will be people who are considering that. You'll also want to include things on your product or service pages that people might be wondering. For instance, I'm trying to think of a brand like Gymshark, let's say. Their product pages are going to say you can use this for yoga, you can use this for lifting, you can use this to laze around at home if you want to. You know, they have all this information about their products. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of that, especially if we're seeing it already. We're going to be seeing even more of it when people can search using SGE and ask questions like, I'm looking for a software that fits a company that sells car parts that has 10 people and five of them hate computers. You know, people are going to be asking questions like this and we're going to need to be finding ways to field this. Yeah, don't know if anybody has any thoughts or if we want to hop into the next topic. I've, I've got some questions, Jess. I mean, in the bean soup example you gave where someone's posted a bean soup recipe and you've got people chipping in on the comments saying, yeah, but what if I don't like beans? I feel like this ties into another trend which is happening at the same time where consumers, particularly on social, and I hate to generalize, but maybe amongst younger generations, are being more demanding of the brands that they follow. So people now demanding answers or demanding that brands tailor their offering or answer specific questions about them individually on social. And this is surely going to increase the amount of resource that brands need to expend on social, just keeping up with these comments and answering people's individual one-on-one questions and tailoring the recipe for people who don't like beans and don't like soup and don't have a cooker and, you know, don't have whatever, you know, this feels like a, a potential resource drain for brands. And I wonder if you think brands are going to lean into this or they'll just sort of ignore these questions and hope that this thing goes away for me i think you need to have a very clear line of how far you're going to take it because if somebody came to gymshark and said can i wear these leggings when i go for a walk i feel like that's a very obvious question and maybe they need to draw a line or even if it's something ridiculous like would these leggings be suitable for swimming in the pool like that's kind of an obvious no not really um So I think maybe they're going to have to have some potentially canned responses by saying, you can find out more if you head to our website, here's the link, you know, things like that. Or you can find out more on the product page, Um, as well as having some really well built out FAQs on the website so that you can, the people on social media can send people to that page. And I think our FAQ is going to be a lot like a lot more extended, but also I think the frequently asked part might start to evolve a little bit. And I think instead of the FAQ being based on search terms and just the conversations that potentially sales might be having, they're also going to be based on this feedback that is coming through social media as well. But I definitely think like, don't jump. If somebody asks a ridiculous question, don't jump to ask, add it to your FAQ. Sometimes it's okay to just think, okay, this isn't a frequently asked question. It's an individually asked question. Yeah, I would love to get Andrew's um, 
viewpoint on objection handling because it often comes up when the handover between marketing and sales and you know getting people you know com- eventually converted but before i do i want to pick up on two things and that's one is the the evolution of chatbots and how there's the on-site chatbot that will assist you in some ways but is actually improving with the addition of you know chat gpt and gpt 4.5 and 5 eventually coming up you will come to a point where you go onto a website and you say on a specific product page or service page, I want to know more about this specific thing and it will be able to tell you a bit. Less so with the exper- personal experiences side that you will see with you know, people sharing on social or perspectives when that comes more into the search results. Um, and the second point is actually... Lo- <laughs> Uh, it's, it's completely gone. So I'm going to move on to Andrew. <laughs> He's going to be able to help with uh, talking about objection handling. Yeah, that's a, a really interesting point. So I think depending on obviously the type of business, quite frankly, if somebody is asking for a substitution for beans within bean soup, they are probably the type that you want to keep to one side. Um, what you do want to do is think about so building up a bank of objections. So it might be that what you want to do is actually create yourself little spreadsheet to get a little bit nerdy get some like stats putting in there so your team can be adding into a spreadsheet and then maybe even once a quarter or so once a month depending on how many objections you're getting through just go back over them um you know like what have people talked about your products around around frequently asked questions what are they you know giving objections as to why they're not going ahead or they need to know more about in order to go ahead and then you might be able to pull off some really interesting data as you're kind of looking through that maybe once a quarter and and highlight some key examples of actually we may need to start thinking about this because a lot of customers are talking about this particular element here and then building up some sections on your website or your product pages around actually answering those for them because as we all know that's what we need to do isn't it is when someone goes onto a website we need to basically objection handle them from that top of the journey right the way through to the bottom and it's important that you you know what those objections are because if you don't and you're not keeping up with trends or what's going on then you you're already not helping yourself you know you're already behind the the case so to speak so really important to make sure you are on top of that and constantly evolving it yeah i completely agree and i think that the additional challenge that comes for marketing managers marketing directors business owners is then how you maintain the conversion rate of your pages by not overloading with information so for example like you can have a page that is too long you can write a fantastic sales you know, sales page, sales copy, and historically very, very long sales pages can do really well when there's enough testimonials and examples of how it works. But a lot of people, well, I say a lot of people, but more modern internet users are very quick and they just want to get the facts and just tell me I'm already, already, I've got this page because I have an interest in whatever it is, just get to the point. You've got to have a bit of conversion rate optimization expertise to know what's right and maybe A-B test it and see what works. And on the subject of A-B testing, if you're not really sure what's working for your website in terms of marketing conversion rate, I'd recommend getting a free marketing website review by going to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review. And Andrea and her team will have a look at your website and see what opportunities they can find and ping it over to you in a video that you can watch and on repeat and take action with. Um, I've remembered the other point that I was going to make, <laughs> which was about... A new release uh, for Android phones by Google, and it's a circle to search functionality, I guess you could say, for phones where you can on anything. You could be on a website, looking at social media, on a video. All you have to do is put your finger on the screen and circle the thing you want to look at, and it will just find out everything it can about that thing. So if you're watching your video and you think, oh, that person's got fantastic trainers, I already want to know what they are. 
you just circle it and then it'll tell you everything it knows about it. I think there's similar to this. Like if you're looking at, let's go back to Jess's original point about bean soup. If you're looking at bean soup, for example, on social media, and you're like, I really want to make that, but this person hasn't shown what the recipe is in the description or whatever. They're just saying, this is my healthy routine, blah, blah, blah. You can just circle that and find out what that is by just asking Google. So that means your website, or at least your marketing content, like everything that you do has to be well optimized in order for Google to know about it and therefore highlight you instead of your competitors or you know anybody else in your market. I'm going to move us on to the next story which i'm gonna go with tim your ai marketing story let's hear a little bit about that oh righty so yeah i spent yesterday um at an agency ai conference as one of the agency groups that we've been a part of runs a, a sort of an annual ai conference where they get agencies to come and talk about how they're using ai and i found it really interesting because there were various sort of hands up if you're doing this kind of um surveys during the day and my one main takeaway was that anytime they said hands up if ai is going to x like be transformative in some way everyone's hands would go up ai is going to be transformative for productivity it's going to speed up the content creation process and then there was always a follow-up question which is okay so hands up who's actually doing that or hands up who's investing more than like 10 percent of their budget in ai and there were very few hands and the sort of pattern that seemed to emerge from this was that everyone, pretty much everyone believes that AI is gonna be absolutely huge, but actual day-to-day -day usage of AI in agencies at the moment seems relatively low. It mainly seems to be concentrated in, you know, daily sort of brainstorming with ChatGPT. You're struggling with how to word something. So you ask it for some suggestions or content creation, but again, global consensus was that the content that any AI tool at the moment is putting out isn't publishable and is actually nowhere near publishable. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And I guess that sort of reflects some of our experiences and exposure into where AI usage amongst the team is still relatively low. We all experiment with it and we all try it, but the number of people who actually have it as part of their daily workflow is, is not is certainly not everyone. Um, and I thought that was interesting. There were some bright spots and there was a bit of a dark spot as well. So one of the bright spots was um, seeing a demonstration by someone who had built a product image generator. So they were talking specifically about automotive. So working with a car brand and when you're working with a car brand and you need some product images, kind of difficult, right? You need this car at the top of a mountain looking out over a cityscape. Well, you've got to get someone to go and find that location. Then you've got to ship the car there and then you might need to change some of the spec of the car to match the spec that's going to be available in the target car. Yeah, horrible. And that's not before we even think about the carbon footprint of all of this. So what they'd done is they'd used uh, stable diffusion and they'd used some other sort of add-ons to make uh, an image generator where they basically taught the AI how to build this car, how to show this car in pictures, and then they could put it in different scenarios. That was pretty cool. And that made me think, okay, this, you know, this is something that actually has legitimate commercial value. The most concerning moment of the day, though, was later in the same talk where the guy was explaining that he used to be, you know, super creative and used to be a really good sort of creative director type person. But he'd found that through working with the AI and working on these types of product images, that creative muscle had kind of atrophied 
And he now considered that he didn't have a good enough eye, like his eye wasn't in enough to know what was good and what was bad. So he'd become so kind of programmed by the generic AI imagery that he had to then go to other people to say, wait, just like double check me here. Is this thing any good? And I thought that was a bit of a warning really about the potential of marketers who spend all their time working with AI the really creative copywriter who spends their time brainstorming with ChatGPT, reading loads of ChatGPT output, does that person's copy then end up becoming a bit more generic? Because most great creative copywriters spend their time reading books. They spend their time programming their own sort of AI on really high quality training material. And it made me wonder if as marketers, the more we interface with AI, does it sort of numb our own um, perceptions of what's good and, and maybe take away some of that creativity. So yeah, I thought some some positives and negatives in it, but uh, overall very interesting to see that as one person said, it was a bit like high school sex. Everyone's talking about it, but definitely not everyone is doing it. That's Andrew, not what I'm really... to say. <laughs> no, not at all. Andrew, I'm really curious because you speak to a lot of marketing managers, marketing directors, business owners, you know, thousands across the year, pretty much. I'm really curious how they're starting to speak about AI, how it impacts their work a year plus after ChatGPT has been released. It's a really interesting one. I think it kind of, it's almost like the same as GA4, the same as SGE that's coming at this moment in time. It's like it's the in thing to like just have in the back there i'll look at it eventually i know what to do with it and then they're kind of just burying the head in the sand until they need to actually take it by the horns and i think there is an element particularly with ai from the conversations i'm having is they just don't know what to do with it they don't know what to do with it they don't know how to integrate it for the best they know that they're going to need no key manual labor to come with it in order to get the most out of it and then you're getting into the the realms of it's just quicker to do it myself um you know i'm probably guilty of that myself you know like when it all came out i'm straight over to chat gpt how do i do this better what's a different term it's why i do that and then i'm suddenly like well i'm having to rejig everything it's saying anyway so you know i'm just use my own brain to to think this through and you know other other areas to use that so it there is there is not one client I think we've ever spoken to who is actively using it day to day in everything that they do. They're aware of it. They know it's there. They they're not sure of its capabilities or quite how far they can trust it. Um, and I think they are reliant on you know the likes of us out here to to be kind of really resourceful with this is how we think you're going to get the best out of it. This is how you're going to be able to to generate the most from it. Tim, you've had a, a good eye, eye over kind of all the processes at Exposure Ninja and how we've integrated AI into what we do, which is the kind of standout impact that you've seen AI make in you know, any of the tasks or the, the kind of deliverables that we do for our clients. I would say the content team, those who use it, rave about being able to brainstorm with it and come up with new ideas um, and maybe sort of starting with not a blank page. But you know, this idea that AI can produce the content for you. I think we saw maybe 16% um, speed increase, maybe slightly more, but you know, not, not certainly not, we just click a button and all the content is produced. I think that's probably a good thing uh, for the world of marketing, because I actually think that more content isn't necessarily what the world needs as a whole. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's certainly not. I, I can't think of a single task which has been, you know, totally unlocked by AI that just wasn't possible before, and now we're able to do a massive scale. It, it just doesn't seem to be that way yet. Mm. Jess, you've often used AI across 2023. I don't want to make this AI, AI podcast. We will come on to Andrew's story in just a second, but you've used AI throughout some of our content creation over uh, 2023. How have you seen your use of it change from the beginning of the year to how you use it today? Yeah, I used AI today, actually, to help me with some content. And the way that I use it is kind of like what Tim described as a co-pilot, rather than sort of asking it to write a paragraph for me or asking you to write an entire blog which is not something I've done before but I know there are people who would use it for that I will use it like I am awful at summarizing blogs I hate it stresses me out I just can never do it it's always like a roadblock for me so I added my blog to Claude and was like how would you summarize this looked at the summary it gave me and was like ah okay now I know the kind of things I can include in my own summary and then just kind of rewrote it to help me with that bit or when I was like, I'm really struggling to find any information about this and I just don't know how to word my question. Sometimes I can ask the AI something and then what I get back, I'm like, okay, that's nearly what I was after, but not quite. And then there'll be some clues in there to kind of rework it and ask the question again. But then there's this, the whole thing of, well, if I can't find it and the AI is confused, then maybe it's not the right term to be using. And there's all these different different things. But yeah, I definitely feel like I use it as like an inspiration co-pilot yeah. when I'm stuck, but it's, I'm still building that habit to remind myself to go to it when I am stuck. I do love using it as a bit of a sense checking device. Um, but another way I use it uh, probably more frequently is if I'm looking for like um, another word to describe the word I already have. So I'm looking for some variations. Like I have a rough title for something or there's a subject matter, but I want to think of it from a different perspective, one that isn't my own. Like if I was uh, a marketing manager, in a different kind of business if i was coming across the same kind of problem would i use the same search query to find it maybe maybe not now i want to also do like the speaking to the person and finding out what they actually do but it's great to have that very quick 30 second different perspective on it because then i might trigger a different viewpoint that i can then dive deeper into so you know it's very especially useful in our remote capacity as a 100 percent remote agency which is great because we can help people across the globe but just have a very quick person you would typically turn to in the office and say, oh, God, what do you think of this idea? It's great to have somebody, something to ask that question to without the delay of you, know, you waiting for somebody to get back to you or not. So I do like it for that reason. I'm going to move us on to the uh, do Andrea's uh, pick now. So, Andrea, what's your story for this week? Oh, I've got a huge congratulations to our incredible email marketing team. They are just the best. So they have been um, shortlisted, just a little reminder of the headline, for the 2024 European Content Awards for the work that we carried out with Fabrics Galore, which is an e-commerce website. Um, just huge congratulations to them. They have absolutely turned that campaign around and delivered some fantastic results. Um, and I really wanted to bring this one to the table today because we hear a lot from clients who worry in particular about email um, and they can be seen as hounding their customers, spamming their customers, and they go into quite worry mode when we talk to them about email marketing. And Fabrics Galore had this a little bit on their mind. They are a traditional brick and mortar store over in London um, that moved online a few years ago. They have the most incredible loyal following. They who love their store, love the personal service. It's a family run business, you know, 
they're genuinely loved by their customers and it's big lifetime value for them. And what we really wanted to do for them was tap into that with the email marketing. So, and I think that this is you know one thing to take away from anything. You know, if you're sat there worried right now, I don't want to do email marketing. I don't want to spam people. I don't want to just throw discounts out <laughs> and hope for the best or something's going to come back. Is that's not what it's about. You're enhancing what you've got from an experience perspective in your email to automate your service and your offering of what you've got. And I'd really love you to kind of switch to that sort of mindset really more than anything. And that's what we did is we replicated that. So the one thing as well to think about with, with this is that it's all about your target audience. So you need to know your personas, you need to know your target audience so that you can give them stuff that's useful to them and they're going to love from a content perspective. And that's exactly what we did here because it's all about the positioning. So with Fabric School in particular, they have um, two different categories that they talk through. They have what they have is their, their enthusiastic, which I'd like to say I'm a part of, but I'm really not even a thing that enthusiastic. It's like your hobby is to crack. Uh, they've got really you know like good intentions I'll make a cushion one day you know it's that kind of feel and thought process to it and then you've got the incredible talent on the other end which is your experienced sewist who is uh very much like they can look at a piece of material and transform something that you'd be like how on earth did you do that if only you had the skill set to be able to do that kind of thing so knowing those audiences is what's played such a crucial part as well in the success of this kind of campaign so that we can create content that is beautifully aligned to what they want to know what they you know want to understand more of and ultimately how fabric school is going to be able to offer up them you know the the products to be able to deliver what they want to so what this is about is thinking about your online presence the traffic coming into your store the people who are researching and how you're going to automate those sales from capturing them with a little bit of a a bit of an incentive, you know, like a little 10% discount off your first time order, that kind of thing that we've got there from a pop-up perspective. And with this, just to give you a bit of a broad overview of six months in on this campaign, 13 times ROI came back from this kind of email marketing. Incredible. Just phenomenal. So what we had was like the email marketing, like the accelerator program, which is essentially what we're, we're doing here is creating all the automations, um, the newsletter in play so that actually they can take on that email marketing, you know, put together all that useful content for them. We increase the subscribers by 40% over that period as well. And the kind of to give you a bit of a, a delivery as well from that ROI coming in. 60% was coming from automations that we created and 40 from the new style newsletters, which are really resonating with that target audience. Um, but I think one of the other big factors as well, sorry, I'm going to, I could talk about this all day. I love email marketing. Please do. No, keep going, keep going. Yeah, honestly, once I go, I am gone. Um, <laughs> they're a Shopify store. So one of the big changes that we made to this particular campaign was we moved them from MailChimp to, to Klaviyo in particular. And that was because that, that as a platform is set up beautifully for Shopify stores. And it does so, so well with kind of the automations because you can brand match. So it looks so much more familiar to the target audience. But what it also does as well, it helps you create segments to get more tailored content to people that love it. So if let's say somebody was looking at the likes of um, Christmas or floral fabrics even, what it actually does is it looks at browsing histories and then is able to say that people who purchase this also love this and it will put more of what you love in front of you. And that played a really big part as well as making sure you've got your right platform to your right shop front that you've got there. So as a, you're on Shopify right now, 
you haven't got Clavio, you've got some good subscribers, that's certainly something you may want to take into consideration. Yeah, I really, I really love that. What I love about Clavio and, and email automation in particular is there's some of the kind of on-site recommendations you would get from using a website a lot. A lot of the time, people aren't on that website a lot. For example, like I was shopping for uh, some me some mechanical keyboard switches just yesterday, and the website had knew absolutely nothing about me, so it didn't know what to push to me, didn't know what to try and pitch me. But when I get into the email system, because I registered and then was about to check out and then didn't, and would you believe it, they sent me a discount code this morning. Fantastic. But then they all start to like recommend like, okay, well, if you put that in your basket, then you might rec might want this. And then, you you know, this goes really well with this. Oh, you shouldn't place your order without including this. Otherwise, it's going to end in misery. Like a lot of that stuff to do on site can be a little bit tricky. You, you know, you're definitely in this game involved as well. The CRO people that you have or with your agency, you know, come to us. If you haven't yet done any of that CRO work, we'll happily help you out. But email automation, a lot of the time, like Tim, you could go into a little bit more detail on this about how some there's some kind of like preset stuff, like templates and things that you can use with Clavio and, and tools like that to make it easier to make suggestions and so on. Yeah, I, 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 I completely agree. I actually think one of the brightest things the team did for this campaign was exactly around that. So I think in, in one of the emails, maybe email three in one of the sequences, they built out what's called a preference center. So it's like a choose your own journey. And it asks these um, these email signups who, you know, maybe you clicked on that particular keyboard, Dale, but then over the course of a few weeks learning more about mechanical keyboards, maybe actually you end up being inspired by a different type of keyboard or a different material of switch or whatever the stuff is that you, <laughs> You're mechanical right line, people, yeah. people love. But what you don't want to do is is segment your audience in a in a in a sort of direction that they don't like or they're you know they've, they've ended up in the wrong bucket and they're being force fed the wrong thing so this preference center allowed them to sort of get out of their current journey and choose a new journey to be in if they wanted to and i think that was so smart because in this particular case um we're asking people whether they're into dressmaking quilting you know that type of thing and then the emails that come to them based on their selection are tailored to their interest so it goes from like hey you know here's just a bunch of fabric that you might like to here are the top uh fabrics that are, our dressmaking fans are, are looking at this month and i think that level of tailoring going back to jess's original point about making marketing more bespoke that's not necessarily bespoke to the individual but it's grouping this audience firstly into the i forget andrew's categorization but the, the casuals and then the, the, you know, the super fans, and then it's grouping them again into their interests, which means that by the time they're actually getting those emails, they're pretty laser targeted, really. I mean, if you're a casual, uh, if you're a casual quilter, for example, you're going to be getting a much better experience from casual quilting emails than you are a professional dressmaking email. Um, so I think that idea of like choosing your audience and having a preference center in, e in the middle of an email sequence is really cool. And uh, it was responsible for a lot of the results we got from this. Yeah, I really love that. And like Jess, you have far from a casual observation skill when it comes to how email marketing interlaces with like the broader strategy and how all the different channels all kind of mix together. I know you're quite fond and you, over the years have picked out a lot of e-commerce 
uh, stores or brands that do this kind of stuff really well. Is there any brand that stands out for you that not only has like strong email marketing that you've seen, but also additional marketing channels that kind of play into it? Oh, that's a big question. Sorry. I definitely <laughs> know that there's a few brands that I have brought from because I think actually Astrid is one of them. I bring up Astrid all the time, but it's because it's a really classic case study of my own where I was like a fan of the brand and then ended up converting later on. So it was one of those cases where I had signed up for the mailing list because I was like, not now, but later. And I don't want to forget about them. Um, and then I was on their mailing list for like a year, I would say maybe. And through that time, I was getting a little bit of information about my interests. Well, not necessarily my interests, but just things that would appeal to me or to their target audience about the brand, whether that's like, different causes they're behind or different advice or why their product's awesome. And then I think what actually got me in the end was they sent me a new, like an email for a new product. And I went on their website and was like, oh, I'm not sure about that actually. Doesn't look as like, it's not quite what I was expecting, but it wasn't a bad thing because I was like, I've already decided I wanted to make a purchase with these guys. Turns out the limited edition was more expensive. So then I went and luckily it had linked, you know, if, you, if you're not interested in this, you might be interested in this instead. And then they do that great thing of kind of taking you through the whole sort of add on this and add on that. And then now I get emails from them saying on your next order, would you like to try this? Or have you thought about this? You know, just because I brought a razor from them doesn't mean I don't still get promotions about limited edition stuff or other things they can sell to me. Um, and I feel like they've tied in their email very, like their email feels the same as their social media feels the same as their website. And I think kind of making everything work together really nicely. And also in the same way that Fabrics Galore understood that they have these two types of customers who are actually really, really keen and want to get these updates and want to know more projects they can work on or want to know the current dressmaking tips. Estrid found a similar type of audience and found a way to keep either keep them interested even after you've made a purchase or keep you interested until you purchase, which I think is great. I love the idea of using email marketing to create super fans, to use like the term that Tim used before. Like, it, it may not be an overnight thing, but over time, over years, I was like, as you say, I, I, I'm also in some email sequences for brands I haven't bought from for years, but do I still, am I still happy to see them in my inbox? Yeah, because then there is going to become a point where I'm going to want to buy from them again. And yeah, just, you know, it's costing them a little bit to send them email, send me emails, but it's probably going to work one day when I eventually convert and spend 40, 50, 60 quid. Right. We've just heard from Jess who, who's revealed that there's a, now a one year sales cycle on a razor. I mean, <laughs> if nothing probably, else... I'm probably an outlier. I have to say I'm probably an outlier, but still go ahead, Tim. Maybe you are, but even at, you know, if 10% of the customer base is Jess's, doesn't that just show the importance of building email sequences and making sure they're long as well? Like this isn't something that you're necessarily going to get a purchase from immediately. Yeah, Exposure Ninja, it's not uncommon for us to have a client that's been following us for five years or something, but you know, are we going to get to the stage where most D2C brands have a similar sort of <laughs> sales cycle? Who knows? Absolutely. Right. So I'm going to make a pick for which I think is the most important story to turn into tasks for marketing managers and business owners. I think this week I'm going to make the last story, Andrea's story, the pick of the week, which means I'm going to go to you, Jess and Tim, to ask you some questions about those. So Jess, starting with you, what tasks can marketing managers take from this story to do today? 
I think the first thing that you should do is review your current email sequences and see if it's been one of those set and forget things where you've left it and it's been working okay, but actually you could do more to segment your audience. Yes, I know, I can hear you now. You're going to have to write new emails, but think how good it could be. Think if you got that 13X, right? Or maybe if you don't have time, come to us. We could do it for you and get you maybe a 13X as well. Um, but definitely straight away, look at the sequences you have going out now and review them. That would be, yeah, the task. Love it. Tim, what task can business owners take from this story and do today? I think for me, the most important piece of this from a business owner's perspective is the ROI. So think about, we're talking 13x ROI in the first six months the campaign was live, but that was like fixed cost, right? The campaign is now done, it's built. This thing will run on autopilot for maybe five years. So that ROI only increases. And I think however painful it is, however much you have to spend and however much time you have to invest, obviously within reason, to get decent email sequences set up, to just put that sort of sales machine on autopilot as a one, it will be painful one time and it'll take ages. And if we, even if we do it, you're gonna have to sign off on a whole bunch of emails, but that thing will run unattended for years generating cash. And it's, it's essentially free cash. There's no cost of acquisition. It makes all of your other marketing look smarter because all of the PPC that didn't convert first time, well, you now get a chance to convert them over email. All of that organic traffic that you're picking up, you get a chance to convert it on email. So it makes everything else look better as well. So I, I just say, like, if you've got rubbish email marketing, just bite the bullet and sort it out. Yeah, I agree. Andrew, I'd actually love to know and uh, get some task ideas from yourself in a sales, from a sales perspective, maybe to any business development, commercial kind of people watching, how they might be able to kind of take something from this story and do something with it today, whether it's their tasks or the marketing people that they work with. Sure. So I think that where we can kind of fit into things is very much talking about customer journey and how the likes of email marketing um, can help the customer journey. And obviously we know this very well, Dale, sales and marketing working together to understand that funnel and then making sure you've got key elements, absolutely, um, together on, on that side. So if um, I know in sales that our, you know, our target audience is X, Y, Z, they love this, they love that, they're not so interested in that, that helps fuel the marketing and getting the right uh, content out to them that's going to and it's just going to make someone love your brand even more just like we did with, with fabric school you know that it's making sure that they're getting something useful that they can work with and actually do something with that's super well i'm going to take some to a couple of quick fire questions if you don't mind um and so the podcast listeners and watchers these are going to be clips so i'm going to ask you to be quick with your responses if you don't mind terribly not too quick but just quick so Let's get into it. So if you had just one hour to improve your marketing, what would you work on? That's not a lot of time. I'm going to go funnel. I'll check your funnel, make sure it's exactly where it needs to be. You're targeting the right people at the right times and then make sure everything's aligned from there. And if it's not, then you need to go backwards and start again. Absolutely agree. What would you do with an infinite marketing budget? 
oh Dale I'm a bit of a spender (laughs) 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 infinite's a bit too much for me I would say um oh good lord I I think again I would I'd just go over you got to go for everything everything everywhere (laughs) as much as you can do that understanding that target audience know your platforms know your channels um and go hard and aggressive for sure I wouldn't disagree with that just push all the dials up to 10 um which marketing skill would you recommend that the 18 year old Andrea works on and why that was a really long time ago do you know there's no digital marketing when I was 18 Dale that's the other problem that we've got here with this <laughs> I think for for me, um, it's all about you know, as an eighteen year old as well, you're you're very uh, eager to impress, get things done, and those knockbacks can be hard. And I think you need to understand in sales and in marketing, uh, nothing happens overnight. It's constant test, constant refinement, constant improvement, and it's what we learn from those tests that we do that help us better ourselves as marketers. Um, to get the results that we need to. So, yes, keep going, keep doing the tests. They're not failures, it's all good. What are you most excited about in marketing right now? I think we're all about SG at the moment, aren't we? What on earth is going to happen? It's like, uh, I, I don't know, it's like Google Gates. It's like, oh, anything could happen with this. Let's keep an eye on it. And uh, yeah, that's going to go down. <laughs> yeah, SG is going to be absolutely huge. So uh, if you haven't watched it already, go to YouTube and search for Exposure Ninja SGE. You'll be able to see our videos about what is search generation experience and how to rank at the top of the SGE. Who should we invite to be our next podcast guest? Oh, there's, there's one man for this task, uh, Andy Tuxford, our head of SEO. Uh, he is just the most powerful source of everything organic there's there is never a question he's ever stumbled across even if i've got the most insane question which i've never heard before he has an answer to it and a very clear answer and a a very compelling answer as well so yeah he he yeah he's phenomenal yeah and he's a seo titan that's for sure definitely going to get him onto the podcast so thank you for that suggestion well, that's it for another episode of the Dojo. Uh, if you want to hear more, you can go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash podcast. You'll be able to hear all 300 plus of our podcast episodes for the Dojo, as well as the Digital Marketing Podcast by Exposure Ninja. If you haven't already, go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review to get a free website and marketing review. We'll be able to record a video and show you how it can improve your marketing to get you the traffic and leads that you need this year to accomplish your goals. We'll see you again next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.